Hello and welcome to the Pinnacle Podcast, brought to you by Pinnacle.com, the online bookmaker that offers you low margins, high limits and a unique winner's welcome policy. Today I'm joined by a man who clearly puts a lot into his betting and when he's not doing that, he's helping others with a brilliant deep dive podcast and live periscopes. It's Drew Dinzik, aka Whale Kappa. How's it going, Drew? Oh, Ben, it's going tremendously well. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to the listeners. This is uh, exciting and fun, and I appreciate the invite. Yeah, I mean, I love the work you do. I really appreciate you coming on. I'm I'm looking forward to what should be a a really great episode. Oh, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Right, so before, I mean, we'll get into, I think the the crux of what we're going to talk about today is kind of your your betting day-to-day or kind of where you're at now, but I think just to kind of set a bit of a backdrop, it'd be good to to maybe set a bit of a scene and talk about kind of what came before where you are now. So you've obviously been betting for a while, but what actually came before that kind of, how did you get into it? Sure. So, uh, Ben is, you know, a, a very, very, uh, rabid sports bit fan my whole life, uh, without question. And then in, in, in college, uh, got into sports, you know, sports wagering via, uh, you know, online platforms. And, uh, that became a pretty, you know, pretty quick passion. Uh, and um, professionally, uh, I got into the you know the science and um, you know and math uh, field. Uh, you know, dedicated a good ten years to my professional um, you know, professional life outside of sports betting, and uh, have kind of grown uh, into a, a, a strong consultant in the uh, you know field of seismology and earthquake engineering and. Um, and then kind of pivoted back to my, my uh, principal, you know, passion and hobby related to sports and figured I can apply a lot of these same models, a lot of these same statistical uh, theories to these markets and try to improve my performance and, you know, see if I can do a decent job of making a second income in this. And, uh, and it, it was a, it was a clear, it was an, it was a learning experience for sure. It's taken me a long time to really, Uh, kind of refine and understand and, you know, pivot from, you know, hey, it's this isn't necessarily about what you know, it's more about understanding how the market works and, you know, figuring out, um, you know, some of the more uh, complex uh, aspects of the entire landscape overall really is hugely important to being successful doing this. Um, And so it's been a, you know, it's been a good four year journey where, you know, building a social network on Twitter and, uh, and continuing to better understand how the market works to improve my performance and um and along the way you know doing everything i can to try to sort of give back so to speak so that uh, the folks that come along behind us uh, have some roadmap some understanding some head start and uh in you know their ability to uh to grow and and do well in this space so i'm now i'm kind of envisaging this this spectrum of of betters and at one end you've almost got like this hardcore sports fan that just goes in kind of knowing what they know from watching the game and then at the other you've got as you said people from like a statistical background or who approach it from like a math point of view is it is it fair to say you started out kind of somewhere in the middle you were that sports fan all along but but you knew what what was required to to actually be successful yeah, well, for without a doubt, um, and even still, like my principal passion as far as the various sports that I play is the NFL, and because of the small, you know, the nature of you know just being a, a small sample size, and because it is a rel- you know, the most efficient market as far as the U.S. you know major U.S. sports, it's extremely difficult, uh, and you know that it 
you almost needed to have a, a broader understanding of the sport and the game on the front end. I don't think you can necessarily um, have a successful approach handicapping the NFL if you come at it purely from the statistical side or purely from the I understand the game side. I think you almost have to have a blended approach to, to find success in the NFL. And, uh, and I'm sure that there are another, a number of other sports that kind of fit that same qualification. You know, sports like baseball, um, to a degree, NBA, uh, I think, you know, tennis, uh, those, those sports, if you can find a good data set, if you have a good statistical mind, I don't think you need to necessarily know a lot about uh, the sport itself. You know, it's, it's helpful, but, um, you know, I think it can be, you can be successful. You can uh, grind out an edge even without, uh, you know, watching a lot of the, you know, action itself. But, um, you know, but for sure with, uh, with something like the NFL, where you only have uh, so many games a week, so many weeks a year where you can really, um, you know, you can really try to find an edge, it becomes uh, important to use a blended approach, so to speak. And I, I guess kind of when people start their betting journey, some people do this, they'll they'll kind of utilize the, the bonuses that might be on offer. Some people try and use arbitrage to make a bit of money and stuff like that. For you, was it, did you kind of start off with this very sensible approach using that model mindset or were you, were you kind of closer to maybe like your, your archetypal beginning better when you first started out? Oh, when I first started out and I was in, I was in college, I did not have, um, much of a, I, I was a very, very recreational player, like full on, like, yeah, I would deposit, uh, uh, at the beginning of the NFL season and whatever I had at the end, I would take out if I had anything at the end. And now it was, it, there were many seasons where it was like, let's see if I can make it through the whole season without having to redeposit, or if, let's see if I have anything left in my account to bet the Super Bowl. Like there were for sure years that went by like that. Um, and then there were years where I completely, you know, stayed away because it was just very difficult as a U.S. player to get down <laughs> without being in sort of a very legally murky area. Um, I lived in, I've been living in California for most of my adult life. Um, outside of Las Vegas, there's really not any, you know, clear and obvious legal channels to, you know, place decent sized wagers. And so it was kind of by, I was sort of forced into, a yeah, this has to be a recreational endeavor for me. You know, I wasn't willing to pick up my life and move to, you know, Las Vegas and make it a professional, you know, endeavor. I wasn't willing to, you know, move on, you know, into the, uh, you know, move to the Caribbean or something like that because I didn't have, you know, the necessarily the, the, the background, the tools, the confidence to, um, to be a professional. And so it was sort of by definition, I had to be, uh, you know, recreational in, in terms of my approach. Um, but for sure, over the last handful of years, uh, the offshore betting space has gotten a lot more stable. Um, the ability to get on and off some of the more, uh, you know, some of the more stable uh, outfits via Bitcoin has kind of changed the game for us in the U.S. at least. And, you know, sort of the middle tier, I would say, of, of rec plus sort of players. And, you know, because of that, I was able to kind of take it more seriously and put more time into it. And at that time, it just so happened that I had had, you know, kind of developed the school skill set um, to go along with uh, building a numerical model and, you know, using some of the, you know, coding tools to scrape and, uh, and evaluate data sets, things like that. Like I had already built up that, that uh, set of skills from a professional standpoint on the side. And I figured, hey, this is this was this 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 is good synergy here. <laughs> like I can apply all of these same ideas in this in this new you know endeavor that I'm excited about and that I have a passion for, 
Um, and so I think it was just sort of right place, right time. And, you know, had the skill set, you know, in, in place and, uh, and then beyond that, um, you know, the explosion of interest on social media and the ability to, you know, communicate with other like-minded folks, all of this was super important and helpful in my journey for sure. Well, it sounds like a lot of your, your progression was kind of situational factors kind of aided, aided that. And I mean, obviously the, the clear one there is your, your field of study and your profession as well. Is there anything kind of outside of those two things that you would say helped you get to where, get you to where you are now, kind of resources that you utilize or like a mantra that you went by that made sure you didn't kind of make the mistakes that a lot of people tend to make? Without a question, the social network, I think, uh, afforded to me via gambling Twitter is probably the most important sort of X factor in all this. Um, People say it's a double-edged coin, you know. I, I don't. I I I couldn't. I I am strongly in the. It's a positive. I, I honestly the um, the amount of po- feedback I've gotten because you know again because I, I I went into I went into a lot of this relatively. Um, inexperienced, right? Like there are a lot of people who have all, you know, t- decades more experience in this space doing this stuff than I do for sure. Um, and there are people that spent decades on forums, you know, making relationships, building relationships, uh, learning um, tricks and angles and, you know, understand, you know, getting, uh, you know, a, a hands-on understanding some, a lot of people firsthand understanding of how markets work, how, you know, what, like, like what the role of like a pinnacle is in the marketplace, as far as a market making bookmaker, like that sort of stuff you don't know when you get started, unless somebody tells you, and there's no grad school for this sort of stuff, at least in the United States, there's really not a framework of here are experienced, knowledgeable people that are willing to pass on this information, because the more you teach, you know, your, um, your peers and your, you know, people who are coming up you know, behind you, the more you information you share, uh, the faster you tend to erode the edges. And if you're a professional in your life, you know, your livelihood depends on, you know, the handful of small edges that you have, uh, you know, you tend to want to defend those with your, you know, with with extreme, uh, you know, carefulness. Uh, so just in general, there's not really uh, a very clear and obvious way of, you know, sharing information, transferring knowledge in the space at all. Uh, and the one exception I would put to that is, you know, the forums back in the day and which is kind of transitioned now into gambling Twitter space where, you know, you can make relationships with folks who are like-minded, who have your similar experience level, and you can kind of figure this stuff out uh, as part of a team instead of completely by yourself. And, you know, a great example are, you know, my podcast partner, Andy, like we didn't know each other in 2012. Like we met, uh, via just kind of chatting about, um, you know, tennis, I think actually we were, we were, uh, trying to handicap Wimbledon one year and going back and forth. And I had a, a, a rudimentary tennis model that I thought was worthwhile. And he was giving me, you know, he, he was basically making fun of me for certain picks I was making based on this model. And I was like, well, what do you have that's so good? You know, and the next thing you know, we're going back and forth and we have a good rapport. And we're like, you know what, let's, uh, let's invite some other people that I've been talking tennis with, and we'll all get together. And, you know, we'll have this kind of forum and, you know, this group chat here where we can, you know, you can't watch every single player's match all, you know, all hours of the day, all across the world. Like there's just too much. 
you know, the bandwidth is, you know, a, a person, a single person's bandwidth is just too narrow to cover it all. But if you expand your network, if you bring in, you know, 10, 15 like-minded people who all have, you know, their own skill set, they all have their own, you know, time dedicated to watching certain matches, breaking down certain statistical uh, matchups that they think are important, and then sharing that, you know, information across, you know, with that, with, you know, a handful of people, you know, now you've got like a team, you've got a network and your ability to attack, you know, a, a very efficient market, like a tennis market becomes real, you can actually now you can find an edge, you can, you know, you can figure out certain certain aspects. And um, I think all of that was really afforded by, uh, you know, the the social media environment that we live in today. And, you know, we I kind of send out a bat signal by just posting my thoughts and ideas and my model results and, you know, get feedback. And you can you can pretty quickly filter out like feedback that's useless from feedback that's valuable because some people will say, well, that's stupid, you know, and well, why? You know, yeah, you know, if you just kind of block people and move on, then you're not really building anything. I'm not really sure what the point is. But if you engage people and you try to figure out like, okay, well, I posted this. You don't agree with it. Well, what is your reasoning? You can pretty quickly, you know, sort out, oh, well, they they're, they really don't have anything of value to add here. Or, oh, well, actually, they have some perspective that I missed something. And, you know, I'm going to need to engage them in a more, on a deeper level, which usually you kind of take that offline and, you know, create a side conversation or bring them into a, you know, a group chat setting and, and sort of hash out some ideas. Those That's where most of kind of the most valuable um, you know, le lessons learned for me have come, uh, in the four years that I've been really taking this quite seriously. Well, I mean, I, I must admit, I always find it interesting because you can, the similarities you can draw between like betters or, or kind of the betting industry from a, a customer perspective and, and put it to, towards like a professional sphere and how it's so easy to make that connection. Yet people or a lot of people don't actually do it. And you just kind of touched upon one there, like like networking is obviously very important in professional life if you're kind of working most jobs. But what I've seen from gambling Twitter or kind of social networks or whatever it might be, it seems that sometimes there's another social element that, that comes into the mix. People feel like they have to get on more when it's when it's related to betting. It's almost as if like if that was a, another industry and two people maybe they weren't the best of friends or they had certain agreements they could they could look past that for the benefit of their their kind of shared goals is that do you find on on twitter and stuff like that relations break down a lot easier than than maybe they would in a, a different professional environment that's a very interesting question and you're i'm sure you're correct in a general sense uh i would say Maybe I got lucky. Maybe there were some aspects of kind of a filtering, a quality filter, so to speak, of who I'm kind of mostly spending time talking to, uh, where it's like-minded people, like-minded goals, uh, as opposed to, um, you know, someone who, like, you know, then, and, and granted, it, there is another side of the coin, for sure. A lot of people with ill intentions involved in the uh, in the gambling space on social media there's like probably 90 something percent right so it is a very difficult uh task to carefully filter you know who is you know a similarly like-minded perspective that adds value to your handicap versus someone who's just kind of using your uh you know using your 
um, platform or audience or, you know, network, so to speak, to gain something that is completely independent from your goals, right? And so kind of aligning goals, aligning incentives is a pretty important role in building a network, I think. Um, and, you know, a lot of that just kind of comes from, you know, trial and error. For sure, there were people in the early stages when I got involved in, uh, you know, kind of a networking aspect where, oh, no, okay, these people are only interested in, you know, getting a, a retweet or, a, you know, a some exposure or, you know, a podcast guest appearance. Like that was their primary goal because they had some grander goal of selling picks that were, you know, entirely, you know, not advantageous to anyone. Like they just wanted to, you know, make a quick buck. And, you know, it takes a long time to sort of sort through, you know, those you know people's motivations across the space. But, um, you know, maybe just by luck kind of stumbled across enough people that are sort of in the same mindset, a lot of, you know, com- kind of common um, goal, common uh, interest professionals. A lot of these people, you know, almost all the people that I talk to have professional lives. They have, you know, rel- you know, they're relatively, you know, well-paying uh, consulting jobs or lawyers or, you know, uh, uh, you know, finance, uh, uh, finance heads. And, you know, they, so they have sort of a, a stream of income that they, you know, that they primarily are, you know, responsible for maintaining, but on the side, this is their, their principal hobby. And, um, and those folks, you know, they're not trying to, you know, become, you know, something, uh, you know, they're not trying to become, you know, scammers, frauds, whatever. They're not trying to leverage any kind of relationship to make money, um, in a, uh, you know, in a, immoral way they just want to be able to get their bets down on the weekend and at the end of the year look at their you know look at their tracking sheet and be pretty you know pretty proud of their performance and uh those are the kind of people that you want to be talking to because you know they're going to find things they're going to find information they're going to see tweets you're not going to see they're going to read articles you're not going to read um but if you can take away the key lessons from you know what they're seeing and in turn, give back your key findings from, you know, the data you're looking at or the, um, you know, the, the resource that you find. You say, hey, I found this new amazing free database. Do you guys believe this? And, you know, give it to 10 people. They're going to come back to you with 10 different findings versus if you're the only one looking at it, you know, you're, you're, look, you're going to have a much narrower, um, you know, much narrower uh, set of results that you find from that. So I think, uh, you know, I think it's it's worthwhile uh, overall. But your point is fair. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of nonsense that goes on that you have to sort through. <laughs> I think people listening to this, a lot of light bulbs have just gone off with that idea of kind of if it's the 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 example you used of of data sets and and sharing things. There's a lot of this kind of um, selfishness might be too strong a word, but this concern that if people let things get out that they're working on, then then perhaps the, the edge might be lost. But what you're suggesting is like, if you share these types of things, you may be able to enhance your edge or, or find a new edge from, from insights from other people. Yeah. And I think it's actually, I would even go a step further and say that it's important to broaden it. And because if you are singularly focused on a single aspect as far as an edge goes, um, and you want to scale it up and make a good amount of money on it, right? 
you're betting it into a market is informing the market in and of itself, right? Like you're like, if you, it's, it's almost, um, it, the, every edge is fleeting. It doesn't matter how good of a secret you keep, right? If you are betting it into the market and it is winning, someone who is on the other side of the counter, who is evaluating your performance sees, you know, sees it, right? And beyond that, if you scale it up, if you're betting it at multiple places, then multiple people are seeing it. And there's virtually no way, in my opinion, to maintain an edge on something that is singularly focused or narrow, right? Um, maybe my favorite example of all time is, uh, you know, is the uh, effect of humidity uh, on totals in baseball. Right. Like at some point, someone, a light bulb went off and they were like, wow, like all I need to do is integrate what the barometric pressure is in a given game. And I can tell you whether to bet an over and under. And the market is completely missing this information. Right. And, you know, and that is seems like, you know, the golden goose. But if you are only betting that and that is, you know, that is the only thing that you're playing, then you're informing the market on you know, what the correct direction over or under is, you know, on a given baseball total. And eventually someone else is going to figure it out. And then it becomes a race to get your bet in before them or speculate on what the barometric pressure is going to be. Right. And eventually your edge is going to be weighing down to where it's not, you know, it's not the golden goose anymore. And at that point, if you don't have something else to fall back on, then you've completely let you know, you've let every all of your other skills, all of your other knowledge about us, all your other domain knowledge about a sport has all kind of gone out the window. And so I think you have to be always kind of looking for more adding to your tool chest, adding to your, you know, your chest of angles. Um, you need some group of people too, I think, to be able to tell you, you know, when something is or isn't working, right? Like, what, you know, you could have this golden angle again on the, you know, the barometric pressure and baseball totals. And, you know, like, how do you know when it's when the if, if you're not, you know, if you don't have a group of people who are independently modeling those totals, how do you know once the bookmakers are opening lines that are building that in? Right. And then the next thing you know, you're, you know, you're limit playing this one angle and oh, well, it's actually already built into the number. And then you're making the line, you know, you're overcompensating for it. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, so there, there's almost certainly, um, you know, value, I think, in having, you know, a network of people to sort of go back and forth with this stuff on, add context to, you know, specific angles that you think are valuable that the market's not capturing uh, and, uh, you know, and, and picking up new and, and important information along the way. And I guess then if we hone in on, on your podcast, that seems like that's a, a great medium to kind of generate that discussion. I'm sure, I mean, I myself at times have thought, God, these guys, they, they don't get me wrong. I love the podcast. Like sometimes I watch it, not even for the, or the periscopes, not even for the, for the betting content, just for the back and forth between you and Andy, just cause it's, it's, it's entertainment. But um, w with that, is it the kind of thing where, 
So you have these discussions and then does it go off into to Slack groups? Do you have phone calls? Is it just back and forth on DMs with people? Is it is it regular people kind of jumping out to you after those sessions that that comment on ideas or suggest new things to you? Yeah, for the most part, it's uh, it's all via at this point, at least for me. And this is kind of a you know sim- singular personal experience, I guess. But for me, it's mostly just um, you know DM group chats via you know via Twitter, um, and you know there's there are you know, people come and go for sure. There are people who have been around for a long time that you know, participate in this, in these chats and, you know, kind of go through, uh, you know, cycles of adding to the discussion and then, you know, then you won't hear from them for a couple months or a year, right? Like this is, it's a, it's a fluid, uh, sort of network for sure. Um, but yeah, for the most part, um, you know, we, you know, we actually, you know, we, we make, we made, we've made a ton of extremely valuable connections that have taught us a lot about kind of, the overall how does this market work right and then that's been probably the most important thing to learn and the hardest thing to learn because i don't come from a market-based background i wasn't trained in you know trading stocks or futures or anything like that like i have a a much different kind of professional training and focus um and so kind of wrapping my head around that has been probably the hardest part of kind of maturing as a player um but you know, we've met people who have kind of learned, who have that, you know, skill set and expertise, and you invite them on to talk on a podcast. And, you know, you have a set of focused questions, like we're having this conversation now, like this is the goal of this podcast, we want to create something entertaining, this is going to be interesting to talk about, people will listen to this and learn, and people will, you know, have interesting ideas from hearing this. And, you know, but in reality, for us, the value is, the 30 minutes we talked to the, to, the, to the guys or gals before the podcast starts and the hour or 30 minutes hour afterwards, right? Well, you know, you get offline and you're like, well, that was great. And, you know, like, hey, well, you know, what, 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 what it was, you mentioned this on the podcast. What was, uh, I got the sense you didn't want to say that publicly, but is there something you would tell us, you know? And, you know, I, you know, I've always wondered, uh, you know, hey, I had this, um, you know, fine angle on this niche market, like I, but I just can't find anywhere to get, you know, a bet down on it. Do you have any ideas? Oh yeah, I can hook you up. <laughs> you know, so those kind of connections, you know, take you a long way in terms of, you know, um, you know, being a, a more flexible, a more versatile player, I think. Um, and without, you know, having the podcast to, you know, use as sort of a, a medium to bring, you know, to, to have meetings, so to speak. Uh, with the important folks across the industry, then, um, you know, we would be missing out on that. And, you know, we would still be sitting around wondering, you know, what, what, why, you know, which books moving at which times with, you know, who raises limits when, you know, those sort of questions would all still be completely foreign. And, and I think that's been an important, you know, important growth, uh, part of the growth process for me, at least as a player. Uh, so it's been, yeah, you know, it's been uh, it's been incredibly uh, eye opening going through and and meeting some of the higher level folks who have been doing this for a lot longer than us. Because because you know, and, and you probably know this. I think a lot of people listening to this podcast probably know this. But experience in this space is like is is gold. It's invaluable. You know, you put a lot of time and money into learning 
you inevitably at the beginning, you're losing, you're paying tuition, you're paying to learn hard lessons and, you know, you, you're paying to expose your own biases and, uh, and it takes a long time to kind of learn from that. Um, but, uh, you know, there are people who have 10 plus more years experience doing this stuff and, um, and there, and that experience is, is pretty invaluable. And if only we could be a fly on the wall on those off-air discussions or, or you left recording on, you never know, we could hear the, the hidden tapes of the Deep Dive podcast one day. Yeah, I think uh, it would you be... get a few uh, more listeners, we would, burn some, we would burn some bridges. <laughs> <laughs> it would burn some bridges for sure. Uh, as interesting as it is, as valuable as it is lesson-wise, uh, I think... Uh, People are, you know, when the, when 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 the recording light is off, people are a lot more willing to kind of spill the beans, so to speak. I just can we just we'll cycle back a bit because I think you you mentioned a couple of things there where you were kind of talking about your development and how the the betting landscape has kind of aided you to to maybe get a little bit more serious about betting, and you cited a couple of obviously positive changes for you. Is there? Is there anything that, have, I mean, so much has changed in, in the last couple of years. Is there anything for you that has, has, has harmed you as a better or something you see as, as perhaps having like a negative impact that you wish you could have avoided? Ooh, man. Putting you on, under the grill here. Yeah. Um, boy. I think the, well, f- the only things that I can think of that have fundamentally kind of, I, and it's, it's tough to say harm, so to speak, but, um, but without a doubt, I feel like more and more sharp, just sharp, smart people are doing this. <laughs> and, uh, and the, you know, the, there are people who are coming up who are probably, you know, a year or two behind me in terms of experience, um, who are very good at this, uh, are willing to bet into, uh, you know, bet into lower limits as I was when I got started, right? I mean, if you're willing to bet into openers because you don't really care if you can get 500 or 1,000 or 5,000 down on a particular side or total, um, then, you know, you can have market influence and you can, you know, basically you can beat, you know, if you if you have a very strong angle on a specific sport or a specific niche market, um, you know, you can really hammer out that, uh, that market pretty quickly, uh, if you're actionable, you know, if your information is actionable, uh, if there is a real edge there. Um, and I think for sure, uh, it's pretty obvious that the people who are kind of coming up behind us in terms of, uh, you know, experience, you know, they're aggressive, they're sharp, they're, you know, they're using a lot of the lessons that we're talking about and, you know, they're, 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 yeah, they're, they're sharpening some angles, uh, to where, uh, for sure, you know, for sure, some of the, I, I saw it with my eyes, like some of the clear and obvious angles that I had in tennis eroded, um, some of the clear and obvious angles I had in the NFL eroded. Uh, and, uh, now this season in the NBA, I've stopped posting information entirely on the NBA, even though I'm still, you know, handicapping it behind the scenes. Um, because the, the key stuff that I had that, uh, was actionable information and, you know, advantage information in the market. Like I just started, I was waiting until relatively close to tip off to get my bets down. Uh, and you know, I was seeing in the, you know, in the morning hours, you know, East coast time, East coast morning hours before I'm even awake on the Pacific coast, 
uh, you know, lines and sides and totals were getting steamed two and three points in the directions that I wanted them. Uh, and so it was like, okay, this is, uh, this is really impacting my ability to even do better than break even betting here. Uh, and so, you know, I think it's, uh, it's becoming, you know, the, the, just the information feedback is becoming, um, you know, is becoming obvious to me, at least that the market is marketplace overall is getting sharper, at least from, you know, the handful of angles that I know and understand. There may be other players out there who feel like, you know, they still have, um, you know, some secret, some edge, some golden angle that's actionable, that is unknown to the market. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, the half-life, so to speak, of truly actionable information is, is becoming shorter. Competition's good for you, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's, well, it's, it makes it makes it more fun. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's, you, there's one thing you've got those betters entering the market. I mean, not to mention, obviously, bookmakers, technological developments, access to data and all those things that help bookmakers kind of sharpen those lines. But then they've also got all these intelligent customers, whether it be, like you said, entering the market or individuals like yourself maybe getting more experienced and sharper. And that's just all of that information is always going back to the bookmaker, isn't it? Which is just going to constantly make it more difficult absolutely correct and uh i think even at the highest levels the kind of the networking between some of the larger groups and and some of the uh you know i mean I, you know there's obviously besides just the the pin pinnacles and the crystals of the world there's you know a handful of relatively you know sharp off-screen outs that uh you know are pretty well networked uh between each other um and i think the sharing of information and you know just sort of you know, just sort of the ability to look at the Don Best screen and evaluate who's moving what when and kind of being able to diagnose that's coming from this group or this this player who's hot, you know, like that that kind of stuff, I think, um, you know, is being picked up ever more rapidly. There were maybe one or two people in the world who could kind of, you know, look at a Don Best screen and, you know, evaluate who what was moving why, when and where. Um, you know, five years ago, and now there's probably quite a few people who have kind of uh, spent some time and gained a skill doing that. And with the, I mean, America's like the big one for me, and perhaps and everything that's gone on there. Do you think like that has gone some way to? This is personal opinion for me, but it almost feels like the the perception of betters is changing. I mean, we've got the Jeopardy Goat or whatever it is going out in a couple of days, and obviously Jeopardy James and the whole betting thing there. I mean parlay pats or whatever that guy's name is like the less said about that kind of approach the better but what that is is there's a certain narrative being built up about betters where previously they might have been kind of seen as like these shady characters whereas now it's almost like a a thing of esteem or or it's building towards like a prestige like it's not a it's not necessarily a bad career to have do you think you're you're seeing that as well oh without a doubt i think it's a i think i don't think this is an accident either Right. This is like this is full on like strategic marketing by, um, you know, by the industry at large. Uh, and it makes sense. I mean, they're like the 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 veil came down in terms of just, um, you know, sort of the acceptability, uh, the willingness to talk about it at Thanksgiving with your parents, you know, like that sort of thing. Like, you know, no, no, no one would have these sort of, you know, people Mom, they overstung me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and before, but, you know, in, 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 I would say five years ago in the U.S. at least, you know, like, I don't know that I would really even talk to my wife about, you know, all that I was doing because there was this veil of, 
wait, you're, you're spending how much of your time doing what now? You know, like that, that for sure uh, existed, you know, five years ago. Um, and now with sort of the kind of the overall like, oh, this is fine. Um, you know, this is a, this is a, you know, this is a, a reasonable, you know, way to make uh, a living. Um, there are people who are doing this professionally, like all, all of those, you know, kind of all of that sort of public impression on this space has absolutely invites more players. And I think the, you know, the underlying goal here uh, is to get more people with disposable income to put the, you know, to dip their toe in the water, to get involved, uh, to give it a try. Um, it's, you know, there are, there, the overall intention here of, you know, sort of growing the participation, you know, from the, you know, in the United States, I think is, is intending to scoop, uh, you know, sort of the whiter, white collar, uh, you know, customer, so to speak, into, you know, into participating. Um, I would guess that in general, the demographics of who's playing, you know, of the United States players is shifting. Um, it's less sort of people who were willing to kind of get along with their local bookie, you know, like, like that, that for sure, like there will always, you know, and there will always still be, you know, an, you know, a, a dedicated customer in the U S who is, who wants to play on credit, who wants to have a relationship with a bookmaker, uh, in their, you know, in their neighborhood, in their, you know, in their city. Um, but the, you know, there's a huge amount of opportunity to create new customers here from people who otherwise weren't participating because they thought it was illegal. It had a stigma. It had, um, you know, some, you know, some barrier of entry and, you know, the stories about, uh, you know, these people who are, uh, who are getting rich or who are, you know, who are crossing over pop culture mainstream wise, like Jeopardy James, like that for sure just invites participation amongst the, you know, the class of people who would five years ago have, have uh, you know, put their nose up at this. And does it kind of, I mean, there's, there's benefits there and you touched upon maybe opening up a dialogue with like your mom or your wife or whoever it might be and people maybe not kind of looking down their nose at you like they once would have there's there's benefits in that regard but at the same time do you think this greater awareness and this this pop culture kind of stuff has that has that harmed you has it harmed the people that are serious about betting to it to a certain degree I would guess yes, but not the class of betters like me. Um, the oh, again, kind of considering who is being targeted as far as new customer acquisition, and considering um, you know how fragile this kind of current market in the United States is in terms of um, you know. I, who's willing to take risks and, you know, what are you, you know, who's willing to attempt a pinnacle style model, right? Like those, you know, those sort of, uh, you know, decisions from a corporate level are very, um, you know, are, are not obvious and not easy to, to make. And I would guess that that is putting extra pressure on, you know, on the bookmaking industry overall to figure out what is the most profitable way to run a business here. Is it even possible to, uh, cater to a clientele of sharper players? Um, do we have to, you know, continue to play our profile, know our customers and screen out sharp action and, uh, you know, limits, limit the players who have, you know, sort of the, 
um, the most experience and the most knowledge and the 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 highest likelihood of long-term winning uh, against us. Um, and, you know, f- for sure, uh, the folks who are, you know, kind of, you know, the, the, in, in the crosshairs, so to speak of, uh, you know, player profiling and screening, uh, I think are probably suffering from this, um, because they, they're not the intended target. They, we don't, they're, they're not want, they're not, in, they're not wanted. They're not, uh, welcome. They're not, part of the overall plan here. Uh, it's much more, we want to acquire, uh, you know, the folks with disposable income who, you know, who wanted who who think they know sports, who think they can win a bet, um, but who are going to be long-term losers. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting kind of conversation, I guess, but, uh, you, you, and you're, you're, you're probably more, uh, keen on a lot of the industry wide stuff than I am. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously, Pinnacle doesn't operate in the UK. I'm I'm from the UK. I'm actually from a from a horse racing background. And one of the the things that's been a, a problem sort of in that industry specifically with with UK bookmakers is the the banning or the restriction of customers for as soon as they show signs of profitability. It's it's now become a European problem. It's it's extended to to multiple sports and most of the sports that bookmakers offer. I'm now seeing a lot of it coming from america i mean i saw on um rufus peabody's twitter the other day the the american betters coalition that's obviously people are kind of being forced into these these things whether it's bets that have have been accepted and then not paid out or whether it's people not taking bets from individuals it's it certainly seems like it's kind of rolling in one direction do you as a better yourself do you kind of hold out hope that that's going to reverse or are you now kind of concerned that it's kind of going one way and you're, you're worried for the future or, or can you see it can you see things changing well it, it's probably 50 50 um i would expect that the likelihood that the european the, you know the issues that plague the european market at this point for sharp players uh is very likely to extend to the u.s but um there's always kind of been a, a sort of uh, a, an underlying kind of American quality, I will say, that this that there should be fair chance, that this should be fair play. Um, and, you know, something like the Betters Coalition, I think, is super um, important and will be effective uh, in kind of communicating to the industry you know, hey, there are people out here with pretty loud voices that are well respected. And if you, you know, continue down this road, we, you know, that it, it will be, you know, a reasonable PR nightmare for you to try to walk back this idea that your contest is not fair play, uh, that there is some, you know, that, that there is some, um, uh, you know, issue long term with your industry, you know, you're going to cut off the, you know, people, people's willingness to get involved in the first place. Um, Maybe no better example than what's going on with like the, you know, what we've seen with the rise and sort of stagnation of new players in the daily fantasy space in the US, like there was kind of a clear and obvious, you know, messaging via media that went out and about about you know, hey, look, this is not a contest that you can win if you just get involved on Sunday morning and put in one lineup. 
Like if you're not, you know, if you're not a shark, if you're not, you know, using your maximum number of lineups, uh, if you're not diversifying, you know, your portfolio and, and entering, you know, as many possible lineups as possible, then you don't stand a chance here. This is a minus EV proposition for you. Uh, and I think that definitely has kind of filtered out a lot of the recreational players from being involved in daily fantasy in general. Um, and now you have another scandal rocking their industry now, really, you know, relating to, you know, bending of the rules and getting even more lineups in for, uh, you know, this style of play. And I would be extremely concerned if I was at the, you know, sea level of DraftKings or, you know, any of the sites that really rely heavily on daily fantasy players that we are, you know, going to entirely choke out recreational participation here. Um, because at that point, you're just, you know, it's just, <laughs> you're you're moving money back and forth between sharp accounts and you know taking a small percentage and once it all dries up then everybody leaves and goes find something else to do so um i think there is a reasonable chance that um if you know kind of the snowball gets rolling downhill in the sense of you know this is not fair chance this is not fair play you can put your livelihood into this and you know, and run into, um, you know, a, you can, you can, you can lose for five, 10 years. And, uh, and, and then the first year you have winning, they'll cut you off. Like, I, I think that there's a chance, there's a way to kind of spin that narrative that is extremely effective in, um, kind of giving the players some leverage. Uh, and, uh, I think, kind of the underlying sort of American, you know, ideas of, you know, fairness will, um, you know, will help support that sort of movement. Uh, so I'm interested to see how that plays out for sure. Just to play a bit of devil's advocate here from what I've, I've seen some stuff on gambling Twitter, as we called it earlier and about this subject specifically. And people have said a soft book, a, a soft book is a soft book it's you know what you're getting if you're if you're serious about betting don't go to that kind of place and and then complain when you you have issues with limits or getting banned if you're if you're serious about betting you need to go to a serious bookmaker is that can you agree in any part to that comment or is it a type of thing if someone's offering a service then they have to they have to show honesty and, and integrity and, and take what comes if, if they're going to make money. I want to agree with it, but I'm all, I've also never been in the in this situation where my livelihood depends on being able to get a bet down. So it's tough to it's tough to uh, to take that angle. Um, but yeah, in general, uh, you know, if if yeah, it, it if. If you have advantage information, if you are a long-term winner in this space, I find it very, very hard to believe that you can't find a way to get a bet down some way, somewhere. And is it a headache? Yes. Does it become, you know, does it take all of the fun and entertainment out of this? I'm sure. Uh, does the, you know, kind of does the, does the, um, does the job pivot? from developing advantage plays to 
simply finding outs to take a bet and kind of doing this whack-a-mole, you know, like who's moving me, who's moving my action, where are they put getting it down? Are we going to get paid by these guys? Are we getting these accounts closed? Now we need new accounts. Oh, we had a hot month. Now we have to start from scratch. Like, uh, is all of that an absolute nightmare to deal with? I am sure it is. Uh, and, you know, it's, I have sympathy for, you know, the grind that goes into it. Um, but at, at the same, but at the same time, you know, if you go head first into, Hey, I, you know, it, it's, it's naive that if you have that level of experience, if you're that sort of advantage player, if you think you're walking into, you know, a, a brick and mortar shop and, you know, in New Jersey and going to have unlimited action, I, you know, that's crazy. I don't think there's any chance that, uh, you would expect that. Um, and it's, it's sad that that's the state of things and it, that may change, but, uh, you know, I, I do have a level of sympathy and agreement with that sort of sentiment. We've had some some great chat about kind of the, the industry in general and, and kind of your development and, and where you're at now. I'd like to maybe talk a little bit about actual kind of what you're doing in relation to betting now in a like not specific examples that I want you to give too much away but what I I personally like about these podcasts and when we speak to people like you is that we get this it's often an honest portrayal of betting and and people sometimes kind of romanticize what betting is about and that it's all fun and games and it's like it's easy money and I'm hoping now you'll kind of you'll back up what what people have said on here before so what is like the I know you work day to day, but if a, a typical betting day for you, say, or, or an NFL uh, betting day where you're, you're, you're running your models or you're preparing to put a bet down, what is that like for you? What's the experience? Ooh, um, so for NFL is probably the easiest to speak to because I had my process has been pretty stable now the last couple of years. Um, I basically intend to make take all my positions by about the end of the day on Wednesday. And that's usually coincides with when we record our podcast. It just happens to be that way, though. Um, and uh, so I kind of spilled the beans on the podcast. Hey, this is everything that I bet. And then I put post it all up on Thursday. And for the most part, the the lines are generally still available, what we're playing. And, you know, for the most part, my edge that I've calculated on any given side or total is big enough that I don't mind putting it up on on Thursday. And even if the lines moved still, you know, a little bit between when I actually got the bet down and when we posted the, my card. Um, but, um, you know, we, we, I, will, I will kind of take uh, a two-week approach to a given week of betting. Um, so I will look, start looking uh, at the look-ahead lines for sides um, uh, when, they, when they become available, usually Tuesday or Wednesday the week prior. Um, I use that to update the, what I would call the quote-unquote market rankings for teams in the NFL. So basically just redefine the space of the, you know, how far apart teams are from each other across the entire NFL. If you have two weeks of, of lines, you can do that pretty effectively. Uh, and I'm mostly looking at, you know, what are closing lines at market making books like Pinnacle? Um, and, you know, he, so def, kind of defining like here is a baseline. Uh, here's the space across all of these NFL teams. Then on Sunday, uh, after, you know, after we see the results of, you know, a week of action, um, you know, we see openers start to populate Sunday evening. 
uh, Andy and I record a podcast at that time where we kind of comment on uh, what we think are, you know, reasonable lines, what lines we think are off, um, what what direction, you know, a handful of totals where we think um, there's going to be a, a pretty significant market shift one way or another. And this is all kind of informed by, you know, okay, hey, we expected these numbers these are what these this is what is opened here are the adjustments and here is you know here are some uh here are some situational factors that once they get accounted for the line's going to move in this direction here are some matchup factors that uh once they get accounted for is going to move the total up or down you know and so we kind of consider that on our sunday podcast when we're looking across the openers make a few small plays uh, and then we let the market mature as kind of limits come up on, uh, you know, on Tuesday and Wednesday, get the rest of the action I'm interested in for a given week down. Uh, and then, uh, you know, record our Wednesday podcast where we kind of talk through the handicap and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a cathartic and learning, uh, experience to do the podcast every time, because you have to kind of make a pretty formidable case for why you're betting what you're betting. And there are always plays that we agree on there are, and there are, but the interesting ones usually are the ones where I like something and he doesn't see it. And I have to try to make my case and it's fun because I've made the bet already. So it's, it is what it is. Um, but, uh, it's funny trying to defend it, so to speak to a neutral arbiter, which is, who is also a friend, you know, and uh, and then vice versa. I, I know what he's played and I've decided not to play and I can kind of push and push back a little on. Well, did you think about this? Well, what about this? So, or, you know, you're not worried about that, you know, and it's so it's a fun kind of back and forth to do the podcast on Wednesday after all of our action is mostly done. Um, I know Andy likes to add stuff later in the week, too. So I like to kind of pick pick at that and make sure that the listeners know, hey, look, uh, I know you're thinking about adding something like what is what, what are you waiting for here? Uh, and things like that, because he, he does add some teasers and some uh, some fun plays on Sunday morning. So, um, you know, that's kind of the back and forth. And then uh, at that after that, it's mostly just preparing for the primetime game so that uh, we have content to talk about on the periscopes. <laughs> and uh, that's by far the most fun, like doing the video stuff is fun because you get instant interaction. People are in there dropping comments and, you know, it's live. And so funny stuff can happen. And, you know, they'll they'll be weird stuff like you know, we'll, we'll be doing a whole, you know, halftime periscope, not knowing that, uh, you know, the starting quarterback for the Redskins, like is, is out with a concussion and they mentioned it on the ESPN <laughs> broadcast, but we didn't know, you know, like that definitely <laughs> happened on one Thursday night and I'll never forget seeing the backup get trotted out, like as we were wrapping up and I'm like, Oh, Oh, Oh no. <laughs> like, Oh no, no. Like I can't believe that we missed this. Uh, so those, those are funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's just it for, for us, it's, you know, I mean, for me, at least it's kind of keeps me, um, on my toes on my game, being able to, uh, go back and forth on all of these and, and have, you know, an informed conversation and break down a handicap and, uh, and, uh, you know, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly pivoting now in NFL to where, um, I'm letting the market do the heavy lifting in terms of telling me how good all of the teams are. Uh, and then I'm simply looking at, um, you know, I'm simply looking at the the outlier performances, trying to identify patterns in the outlier performances, trying to say, okay, 
Like uh, we noticed something weird this year where all of the teams after they came off of their bye week after their London game performed well below expectation. And, you know, we kind of worked out like, okay, there's, there is some signal here. And, you know, similar things like that with uh, a handful of uh, kind of unusual angles that we identified by like just looking at like where the market was wrong. Why were they wrong? Uh, home field advantage was huge this year after like there was we that and we were on the right side of home field advantage this year, which was hugely, hugely um, positive for me over the course of the season. This was probably the biggest factor for me this season, because in years past, I would look at situational factors like, oh, this team is on their second straight week of travel. Like they're going to be you know, a little bit more tired, the, you know, they're going to be travel weary. The two weeks in a row on the road is tough. Like they generally, you know, I have like a statistical database that goes back years that shows me this second week in a row on the road, especially early in the season, especially since they changed the rules about off season conditioning, like the teams just underperform wildly in that spot. And week two, we had four examples of that and every freaking road team covered and some of them covered with glory, like they were just wildly amazing. And it was like, oh, okay, something fundamentally has changed here. You know, teams are on to this. They have changed their approach. There is, you know, there's something that we need to dig in a little bit more deeply here. And so we look at it a little more carefully and we're like, wow, you know what? Like, you know, there's th- this, you know, home field advantage is not what it once was. We've known it's been decaying, but like to even assume two and a half points at this point is kind of ludicrous given what we're seeing in the results. And, you know, sure enough, we go through a full 17 week season in the NFL this year. And uh, on average, uh, the away team won by half a point. So it's been a complete and total outlier uh, relative to years past. And if you're not kind of carefully, evaluating the, the you know, sort of the dynamic nature of the market. You don't catch that sort of stuff. Um, so most of, you know, that, that's been kind of, you know, part one to my approach about NFL these days is really looking at outlier performances and variance and trying to kind of find deviations from what the market expects uh, and then, you know, kind of uh, use that in a forward projecting sense. Uh, and then number two, you know, looking more carefully at, um, you know, player level injuries uh, quantifying impacts of certain players being in or out of games, cluster injuries, things like that, putting that, you know, into a numerical framework so that, uh, I can come up with a a reasonable adjustment on a a team's expected performance and, uh, kind of evaluate if the market is over or underreacting to this. So clearly the, the NFL is the big one from you, obviously the, the amount of content you put out, you said you're, you're a big fan and correct me if I'm wrong. It's, it's probably the one you enjoy betting on the most. I would say for sure. And, you know, a ton of that is just because uh, like, uh, there's two major reasons for that. Number one, because I have, you know, kind of a full-time professional consulting job, uh, it, it lends itself more, <laughs> more readily to not having to dedicate quite as much day in, day out time to it. Uh, and then number two, uh, uh, I've been watching the NFL for the longest. So as far as just sort of the fundamentals of the game and sort of the, um, you know, the aspects, you know, what matters, what doesn't from a matchup standpoint, I understand that kind of at a fundamental level a lot better than I do for, say, NBA or uh, or tennis or any of the other sports that we get involved in. So has the has the betting approach and the the focus on data analysis and and thinking about your your bets when you're watching a game or something like that, has that detracted from being a fan of the sport, do you still enjoy it as kind of just that 
that old school fan or is it purely for you now more about the the, the connection with betting Whew. almost certainly for the nfl it's connection to betting it's almost and and um I would even go farther and say it's you know the they it's not even about winning it's not even about winning money as much for the NFL at this point as much as it is you know we have curated a pretty you know pretty interesting audience of people I don't think we're getting a lot of the joes and a lot of the you know the the true rec players we've kind of curated an audience of people who i think are kind of like us and you know at the rec plus level and maybe even some professionals who like to hear our point of view on this stuff uh and so it's you know it's almost like a you know a badge of honor reputation thing if we can hit 52 percent in the nfl and in every you know in a given season then uh, i think uh you know we can you know high five at the end of the season and say mission accomplished and uh, and so I think, you know, the, the public uh, kind of feedback on all of the content we create is absolutely uh, as much of a payoff nowadays as just as, you know, just as much as winning, winning money. So um, I think, uh, weirdly enough, it's pivoted entirely into just, you know, instead of just being a fan of the NFL, like being right about what's going to happen, <laughs> it's kind of become the, the fundamental goal, which is bizarre, but it is where we are. <laughs> And, and outside of the NFL, then how many how many other sports are there? I know you kind of mentioned was it the edge eroded in tennis? You're you're kind of now focusing on on basketball, but not not sharing so much. Is there? I'm assuming there's quite a long list for you that that you're betting on. Yeah, NBA and NFL are are make up um, about ninety five percent of what I'm getting down in a given year. Uh, I still take tennis uh, grand slams super seriously. I watch a lot of tennis on you know just for fun i listen to tennis on the radio i love you know it's tennis is is a fun really fun sport to be uh attached to and so i like i'll definitely get involved in the australian open coming up and uh you know that's one of my favorite wintertime traditions nfl playoffs and australian open going on at the same time um but uh uh we'll i enjoy the big i enjoy the big stuff like the Euros coming up in soccer is going to be a ton of fun. I'm absolutely going to get involved in that. We bet Women's World Cup last year in soccer. That was a ton of fun. Uh, and uh, probably the what I'm looking forward to probably the most, more than anything in 2020, is um, Olympic uh, betting. Olympics in 2016 in Rio were incredibly fun to bet on. Um, I was a swimmer in college. I love the uh, you know the swimming. Uh, handicapping it's basically like it's no different really than horse racing you know it's it, it the 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 races are so quick uh the differentiating factors are 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 uh, are pretty tough for the general betting public to uh to wrap their heads around so if you have any inside information if you have any insight you know any uh, kind of you know personal insight i feel like it's uh it's fun to bet on those markets uh so i can't wait for swimming in the in the 2020 olympics in tokyo um, and just in general, like the Olympics, just as a two week event and all the fun stuff that there is to bet on and to watch is worthwhile. So, uh, that's probably what I'm, I'm most looking forward to in 2020. Yeah. I think I remember it was a podcast of yours a, a couple of months back, maybe was it, you guys were talking about like figure skating or, or something like that. <laughs> yes. What's, what's, what's going to yeah. be the, the equivalent in the summer Olympics yeah, for 2020 then? Swimming. Absolutely, this was yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. We did uh, we did three podcasts dedicated to the Winter Olympics in uh, in South Korea uh, in 2018, 
they were incredibly fun and uh we had we had a lot of winners um but yeah we had a whole uh deep dive dedicated to the men's figure skating because the uh the market leader who we, we came into the event thinking like hey this guy's injured like the price on this guy's got to be off um and ended up doing a whole deep dive into you know figure skating reddit uh where they had people who were in the training you know in in the uh in, you know in the training venue kind of charting uh, you know, what this, uh, what the men's figure skating uh, favorite, what, you know, what he was doing in practice. Uh, and, you know, we thought, oh, there's this guy's a perfect fade, golden fade. Let's figure out who to bet on in the field. Uh, and then we find this training, uh, you know, charting and we're like, oh my God, he's hitting quads. Like this is, this is, it's, it's, it's a trap. It's a, tra-. you know, it's like this guy's, <laughs> this guy's the guy. You know, he's it's, got- being ru- it's being run by a bookmaker. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we figured out that it was all, you know, that there was, you know, uh, actionable edge on the, on the favorite. Cause he was hitting the, uh, the, he, he was the only guy capable of doing a couple of quad uh, quad jumps that was even in the field and he was landing them in practice thanks to this uh, person who was charting them on figure skating reddit so that was a lot of fun and we'll definitely get into that too so summer 2020 are we gonna get periscopes with you in a, a swimming cap and some goggles oh now we're talking brilliant idea <laughs> absolutely yes yeah yeah for sure we'll go out uh we'll go out and do them at, at the beach that'll be fantastic So you kind of, you mentioned the figure there of, of the 52% as like a badge of honor um, in kind of NFL or those those efficient markets. What what for you is like a, a measure of success? Obviously, if a lot of people, this is their livelihood or they're, they're kind of driven by profit or a desire to just know that they're doing things right. Is it is closing line like a big thing for you? Oh, in NFL, that's pretty much the only thing I'm looking at. And it was... And- that was challenged this year, for sure. Uh, I think I hit close to 69%. Um, I beat the closing line in my sides and totals in the NFL this year, but I only went 52 or 53% uh, as far as um, performance. And uh, I bet there was a couple of weeks during the course of the season where I was, you know, six and one or seven and oh against the closing spread and went three and four. And I was just like, this is, this is tough. Like, I don't understand what's happening. This was so predictive in years past, but, um, you know, there's, there's surely this year, um, the market, as far as the closing line was a little different. I think there were some, there were a bunch of influential factors in that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I definitely, uh, I definitely would like, <laughs> I, I would definitely like uh, some takebacks on some of the sides I took because they were uh, I had some uh, I had some stinkers for sure. But uh, I think for me, a successful season. You know, if I if I'm uh, if I'm uh, in the five to ten percent ROI in NFL, then I'm pretty I'm pretty satisfied, and that's where I've been for the last couple of years. So that's uh, uh, and of course, like um, I have kind of a two prong strategy for the NFL. I like to have. Uh, a nice, you know, five ten percent ROI on uh, my game by game betting. I like I shoot for about a twenty five to thirty percent ROI on my preseason activity, uh, and um, and then as my game by game stuff goes, like I like to try to reinvest some winnings in the futures market over the course of the regular season, uh, and that kind of sets me up for the playoff run. So for for the playoffs, I'm not betting as you know as significant stake wise, just because I have a lot of uh, outstanding futures, you know, at, you know, that, that, uh, I'm keeping an eye on, but, uh, 
um, you know, I, that's kind of my, uh, my approach to NFL. And when it's, whether it's kind of a loss that's uh, a positive kind of against the closing line, but you've actually lost, or whether it's one of those bad beats that are kind of like a, a really hard one to take, do you still, even after all these years of experience, do you still get disheartened? Do you still kind of get frustrated or are you at that point now where you can, you can take it and you know, that's part of the game? I definitely have, I have that, the bad beat stuff I have completely uh, gotten over for the most part. Um, and actually, what's you, you made me think of something pretty uh, clear about my NFL performance this year. Um, in like the 30-something percent where the market disagreed, I, I think I feel like every one of those was a loss. Like I fundamentally missed something. Uh, and I don't know that there were a lot of losses that I took where the market beat me that were un- unearned, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and, but, and then on the other hand, you know, there were, uh, there were probably 30% of my wins where I beat the market number pretty clearly. And there was a good reason for it. Like I had the bears and, you know, against the lions and Stafford come, you know, gets, gets announced out with an injury or, uh, Sam Darnold gets mono, uh, and against, you know, with the Jets against the Browns after I bet the Browns, you know, early in the week. And, you know, so there were a couple of just absolute smashers in terms of beating the closing number that were, uh, that came through. So th- there really weren't a lot of examples where I felt like I had the absolute right handicap, the market moved with me and, uh, and the result didn't come through. There was, there were really probably only maybe five out of about, uh, you know, a hundred plays over the course of the season. Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna start to wrap up. I wanna I wanna know if out of everything we've kind of talked about today and everything you've discussed, obviously there's a, a hell of a lot of great points in there. If there's someone listening to this, if there's kind of one message that you could share, what would you, what would you share with the listeners? Well, if it's a new player, you know, if it's someone who's relatively new to this, I would just say, you know, recalibrate your expectations for what you're going to get out of this experience. <laughs> it's worth getting involved in this. It's worth playing. It's worth uh, learning about this. It's, it adds to your enjoyment of sport, in my opinion, uh, especially if you're in any way math or statistically minded, like you'll enjoy this. Um, but just don't expect to get rich doing this. Um, and then uh, if it's kind of a middle, you know, kind of someone with a little bit of experience, I would tell them like build a network, start putting your information out there. You'll find people uh, you know, you'll get connected with people who are at about the same, you know, you want to make a, you want to build a network with people who are at or around your same level of experience so that you can learn together. Um, you know, you're going to learn more, you know, some stuff the hard way, some stuff you need to learn the hard way. And I think, uh, if you kind of, you know, build a network, you're going to get the benefit of some network effects. Uh, and, uh, yeah, if it's someone who's, uh, especially, um, you know, if someone who's especially experienced and, you know, you want to reach out to us and be part of our podcast this off season and tell some stories and provide some, you know, transfer some knowledge to the next generation. You know, we're, we're interested in hearing from you. And what does, uh, what's the future have in store for whale capper? Oh man. Well, we're going to keep doing the deep dive for sure. It's, it's, it's a passion. It's part of our lives now. We love doing it. Um, and, uh, once the NFL season is a wrap, you know, we've, we've been talking about this. We've been looking forward to this. Like we are ready for, to put this to bed, <laughs> 2019, 2020 season, NFL, like we like, it's been a grind. We're ready to put this to bed and get back to, you know, kind of talking to some industry folks and, you know, talking, talking to, you know, exploring some of the stuff that we find 
the most exciting and the most interesting about this space, which is, uh, um, which is our next, our next challenge. And is there potential with you kind of thinking maybe with the, the consultancy stuff is, is betting full time, putting the content out there. Is that a realistic ambition for you? Ah, uh, it's tough to, it, I, uh, well, two, two things. Number one, I feel like I, you know, because a lot of what the stuff that I do as a consultant, I feel like is kind of important from a, you know, public safety, public health standpoint, I have general responsibility to continue practicing. And so I'm, I don't think I'm interested or willing to walk away from, uh, you know, seismology, earthquake engineering research and, and science anytime soon. Um, but, uh, for sure I will continue to, uh, to get deeper into the world of, of, uh, handicapping and sports betting and try to, uh, you know, try to continue to improve my performance and become, you know, I, I think go I, at this le- level, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm better than a break even player, but I would like to be, you know, a true advantage player someday. Uh, and I need, uh, I need some more years and I need some more, some more angles and I need to continue to learn to do that. So that's my goal. Well, I'm sure we could talk for a lot longer, but it's, it's been a great chat, Drew. I've, I've certainly enjoyed you coming on and I'm sure our listeners have. So thanks for taking the time out of what I'm sure is a busy schedule to, to discuss all things betting. Really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. It was my pleasure. And, uh, I appreciate all the content that you guys uh, put back out into the space and believe me, listening to the, the pinnacle podcast, reading the pinnacle blogs is, uh, that has taught me a lot about, uh, uh, a lot about sports betting and the markets in general. So I appreciate everything you guys do. Thank you. Glad to hear it. And I've said before, um, obviously, I'd, I'd highly recommend following you on Twitter and, and people listening to the podcast. Can you just maybe do a, a quick shout out for your your personal Twitter and where people can find the deep dive? Sure. So uh, I'm on Twitter at whale underscore capper. Um, and uh, we our our podcast is called the deep dive pod. Uh, and you can find it at iTunes, SoundCloud, um, Podbean uh stitcher i think pretty much uh you know uh, what's the other one uh spotify yeah it's uh, it's pretty much up everywhere so if you go uh go search for uh the deep dive pod or deep dive podcast uh and uh look for the one with the little logo of the whale with the headphones on uh you'll find us and uh yeah starting after the super bowl uh we're gonna have some some interesting content to say the least uh across the gambling space from uh from some fascinating fellows and hopefully hopefully uh hopefully will be entertaining and, and and educational yeah i hope everyone's enjoyed listening it's, it's definitely worth following drew on twitter and if, if you haven't listened to the podcast already I'd, I'd highly recommend it him and andy are putting some great content out there and if you want to learn more about the topics that we've discussed on today's show then head to betting resources on pinnacle.com as always feel free to suggest any guests for the podcast but by contacting at pinnacle on twitter thanks for listening and bye for now